Well, good morning. Let's turn in, if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 8. That will be our text for this morning. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Okay, let's just open in a word of prayer and then we'll make some comments and we'll get started here on our text for this morning. Our Father, we just are so thankful that we can be gathered here today to be under the sound of your word. We just pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to behold wondrous things from your law. In Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so our text is John 8, but what I'd like to do is just read one verse out of our selected text for this morning for us to remember as we're going through it. And um, this is what I'd like to, to bring up. Timmy, if you would just advance it one. It's found here in John, um, in John 8 and, and in verse 25. And they said to him, I'll make my, uh, my own reference here because we're taking a little out of context. But it says, they said to Jesus, who are you? And a follow-up question I want to uh, pose to you this morning too is, what will you do with him? So who are you and what will you do with him? Is this not the greatest question or the greatest decision anybody who's born, who comes into existence, has to face themselves, right? With Jesus Christ. Who is he? And then the follow-up is what will we do with him? Now, in our text, it says here, Jesus answered to them, I've been telling you from the beginning. And so he's been trying to, to um, since he came down to this uh, to this planet and he was born, right? He's been showing them that he is not of this world. He is of he is God, and really, John. It bears repeating because uh, I think most of the speakers have referenced back to this, but it bears repeating as we are thinking about why John is written. The book of John was compiled for for this. He tells us for this reason this book was written. This is in John twenty. In verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing that you might have life in his name. So what is it saying? That John, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has compiled what he saw, these signs and miracles. Not only just signs and miracles, but things that have happened in his life. And in Jesus, what he observed, and for the express purpose that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if I walk out of this building, and I can go to my job, I can go wherever, and I can ask just some random random person, and I, I bet you everybody in this room would raise their hand, is Jesus Christ the Son of God? I'm sure everybody else would raise their hand and say yes. But then the next point is, that's great, but that's only that's only a little part of it. Believing that you might have life in his name. That's where I think a lot of people fall short of. They'll say some, maybe some don't even say Jesus is the son of God. Some say he doesn't even exist. But say, yeah, Jesus is the son of God. But they, they don't follow up with the second question. What will you do with him? They don't put him in his rightful place. They don't elevate him to where he is in their hearts. That's where he is. Regardless of how I feel about him, or regardless of how, uh, an atheist or, or, or somebody who, who says that Jesus is the brother of Satan in, in their religion, some 
uh, wacky idea. Does that change the fact of where Jesus is in the, in the scope of this universe? It doesn't. So what I'm doing is agreeing with God where Jesus is and what he's done and what he's accomplished on, on my behalf, right? That's what I'll do with him. That's what he's been trying to do throughout John is that there's a, there's a miracle, there's a sign, or there's some lesson that he does with them, and he shows them who he is. And, and on top of it, there's sometimes that it says that they believed in him. In this very chapter, we have it. That there's people that believed in him. It says that. But then he turns around and speaks to them and pushes them away. Because you know what? They're just believing about what the sign is and what the miracle was. They don't want the person. They want what the power is. And a really, there's a, there's a sect of Christianity today that's all about that. They rather go against, uh, they rather go for the, uh, the benefits and the surrounding things of Christianity rather than the creator, the head of the church. That's what they want. They want the things that come with it. Um, you know, they even would, would, uh, would uh, sell their gospel that way. They say, well, you can have this and you can have a nice life and not anything to do with the creator. But is that the biblical Christianity that we read today? No, it's centered around Jesus Christ. So who are you and what will you do with him? And, um, <clears throat> and this is really, uh, like, uh, like we were mentioning, is, is what, uh, what we find here throughout John. And, and it's no different here with what we come across in this book. So let's just go through it. And what we plan to do is, as much as we can, we, we'd like to go through it uh, as, as verse by verse, not necessarily uh, going, uh, uh, making comment on everything, but just try to work through this as we get through this this chapter. So remember, as we as we come across these uh, people, it's not just them, right? Because this is the same question that we have today, and really their response and the reaction is no different than what we see today. I mean, we have in this chapter we have people who are asking questions, but not really asking questions to learn anything. They've already made, they already made their decision in their heart, but what they're doing is they're trying to ask questions to try to prove and try to say, listen, I know where I'm standing. I'm trying to disprove you, right? Have you ever come across somebody like that when you're witnessing to them, right? They'll ask questions. They'll say, well, uh, you know, I'll talk about Jesus Christ. I'll talk about how uh, their sin has keeping them away from God. But then they'll tell me, how can you believe that the whole earth was, was covered in water? How can the earth only be 6,000 years old? They'll start throwing these things out. But really, you know, you can answer. I mean, the Holy Spirit will give you, um, you know, will give you the words to say in the time. Maybe that is a reason you need. I mean, maybe you need to answer those questions. But really, they've already made up their mind. And what they're trying to do is trying to, you know, claw and scratch to get out. And so to get out of the light that God is now shining in their heart, really, and they're convicted. And they're trying to sidestep it. And you have that in this chapter that they're, they're peppering Jesus with all these questions. But then at the end, you know what you have? When they finally get the, they can't get anywhere else. And they, they realize that, listen, they're faced with the light of who Jesus is. They pick up stones to stone him, right? Is that not a reaction today? Right? That they've come to the point where, listen, I can't get away from God anymore. The light of God is now shining into my heart. He sees my sin. I don't want to change anything, right? That's really the question of, of, of the matter of Jesus. It's not that they can't come to him. It's that they will not. And I bet you even, maybe some in this room, I can't see in their hearts that they've been coming to church all their life. But in their heart, they will not come to Jesus Christ. They've made a choice. Whatever their reason is, because of, you know, they feel like 
They want to come on their own terms, whatever it is. But these, just like these people, they will not come to Jesus. They will not do, they will not put him in his rightful place. They will not believe on him that they might have eternal life. And the reaction to, and really that's what we see today, right? Is the hostility towards God. They pick up stones to throw at their creator. Can you imagine that? So let's go through this. So, uh, I'll just make one note of, of, of this. You might, in your Bible, it might, uh, depending on your translation, you might have this first, this first uh, section, the first 11 verses in um, italics or quotes. Um, we'll just make mention that, that the, this particular story was inserted here. In most of the manuscripts, it's in this section. Some of them have them in other places. Uh, they insert it somewhere else. But I think personally... Because of what happened in 7 and what happens after, I think this is where it, it, it should go. But this story, you might have a little like how it said in some manuscripts, it's not found here. But um, it, the majority of them do point it, point it right here in the beginning of 8. So Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. Actually, verse, uh, verse 53 of chapter 7 is included. It says, then each went to his own house. So what happened after? There was uh, with the interaction in seven. They all go to his house. Jesus then goes up to the Mount of Olives. Now, I don't know if anybody's been to Israel, or even um, if you've looked at some uh, pictures of where you know Jerusalem is and the Mount of Olives. It really, it it really harkens back to when Jesus said, you know, when he was just earlier, that he had no place to lay his head. Literally, he didn't have a home. I mean, he had a home, an earthly home, but he didn't go back to it, right? Because Maybe at this point, right, his family, even his own family pushed him away. They didn't want anything to do with him. So where did he go to sleep? He wasn't welcome to go back to his own, his house, right? Can you imagine that? The place where you feel there's protection and there's support, they pushed him away. So he spent the night up in the Mount of Olives, at least in this point, and most likely maybe in prayer. But he goes up to the Mount of Olives early in the morning as his habit, right, he goes down to the temple. So he comes down to the temple, and all the people came to him. And they sat down, and uh, he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and they placed them in the midst. So, so as he goes down to the temple, he, he's going to teach them, right? He's going to, to he, he, he has a mission. He's not going to waste any time. And they decide that this is a great time to, to set a trap for him. Now, this is not the first time that we see this. Uh, even in 7, right, they, they pit the Lord Jesus against Moses. But in this particular case, you have the scribes, it's mentions, and the Pharisees. And what we'll make comment on is the scribes. If you think of scribe, you think of somebody who writes. But these, this was very uncommon. It wasn't like today where there's a public education system or there's education that's packaged that you can teach your kid at home. Like, to learn to write was, was really exclusive to a particular caste, right? They're the scribes. And really what their job was was to copy the scriptures over and over again, right? So what their job is, they really took pride and they took, um, uh, uh, they really dedicated to the fact that, you know, here's the book of Isaiah and they went, you know, uh, alpha, or however it is, symbol, or however they, they separate their, their words, but they went through it, and they made sure everything was there. They made sure. So did they know the law? 
I mean, if you're that close looking at it and copying it and make sure you don't miss anything, that's who the scribes were. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were a sect that taught the law. And so they interpreted it. So you have these two groups of people, the ones that write everything down, right, and copy it word for word or symbol by symbol, and then you have this other group who teaches them and who explains the law. And they come to Jesus with a matter about the law. Now, isn't that, isn't that kind of fascinating when you think about it? Because Jesus is, is really the author of the law, right? He, he's the one that it was written with the finger, right, of God. And then they've come to him to challenge him on something of it. But let's continue. So the scribes and Pharisees brought this woman who was caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. So there must have been a crowd around him. But here they go. Hold on, excuse me. We got some matter that Jesus needs to take care of. And they brought this woman. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman, some might have rabbi, but they recognized that Jesus was uh, a learned person. This woman had been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? So here they spring their trap. And what they're trapping uh, uh, in their minds, and really when you think about um, how I would be able to get out of it, if I would, I, I wouldn't be able to, but obviously because I'm not God. But what they have, what they, what they put before him is this. They said, listen, the law of Moses has condemned this woman because of what she did. But here's where it gets tricky. We can't put her to death because they didn't have the power to do it. So if he said yes, they agreed with, if Jesus would agree with them, they couldn't do that because then he'd be in violation of the law of Rome, right? The, um, the, 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 the current political session there in Israel is that they were, they were being ruled by Rome. They were being ruled by a governor, right? Pontius Pilate. He was a Roman citizen. He was not of Israel, right? So he was a, uh, an extension of Caesar. So they had the power. They had the power to do capital punishment, right? You remember when Jesus was crucified, did the Jews have the ability to do it? Who did they have to take him to? Pontius Pilate, right? So they had to bring him to the, the local governor there to be able to cast judgment on him to put him to death. So if he said, yes, put her to death, he'd be in violation of the Roman law. Say, ha-ha, look, now we have something to blame him. But if he said, don't do it, then they say, oh, now he's in violation of the law of Moses. So look, he's got, they feel like they got Jesus. He, he, any answer he gives, he's gonna get in trouble. Right? He's gonna get in trouble, and now we have something to accuse him of. So they thought. So remember, these are the people that copy the law, and the people that teach the law. And here they are trying to trip up the author of the law, right? So how is he gonna, how is he going to, again, with this, right, John records this, to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, and now what would they do with him, right? He still turns it around and puts it on them. So what do you say? Verse 6, and then they, they did this to put him to the test, that they might have some charge to bring in against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, I don't know if you've, if you've ever come across this passage and you've ever looked at it yourself and you say, wow, that's pretty fascinating. What was happening? What was he writing? And... I'm just here to say that I don't know what he was writing. Now, some people say that he was writing the men's names down. Some people, he was saying he was writing the Ten Commandments. We don't know. But what I do know is it wasn't that important 
because of what he did. Because what he did is, if, they, if you remember when Jesus was on trial, and what it, there was only a few things he, he said, but what do you remember he didn't do? He didn't talk back to them. And Pilate got so, he got so agitated by it, and he got scared because here he felt that he had Jesus' life in the balance, and they're accusing him of all these things, and he's just sitting there like this. And he's like, whoa, this guy has authority. I mean, how is he being all calm in this moment where they're all accusing him? And this is exactly what happens here. Can you imagine them trying to put the spotlight on Jesus, trying to trip him up? And there he comes, and he just goes like this. He bends down and starts writing. Who do you think has the authority in that moment? Jesus Christ. He says, as though it's actually, who has the King James Version? What does it say there in verse 6? It doesn't have in mind the ESV, but it says, as though he heard them not. That's what's important. He just bent down and started writing on the ground. Now, the also significance of the writing on the ground, and this is why I think this this particular part is here, is because in 7, they challenged him on this. They said, where did this guy, basically, how did this guy become learned? How did he go to school? He never went to any of the Pharisee schools or the scribe schools. And that's why I think this is important, because now he's bending down showing them, I do know how to write. He wasn't just doodling. He was writing something down. That's all it says. And so that's why I think this is here, because it goes back to what happened in 7. They said, no, nah, he doesn't know how to do any of this. How does he even know? He bends down, he starts writing, as though he heard them not. And then they keep, as any uh, person who wants something, right, who's stubborn, right, you keep pushing at it, pushing at it, pushing at it. And they said in verse uh, 7, it says, And they continued to ask him as though, listen, now they realize they're on his time. And now he's going to be the one to answer him. And they kept asking, asking, asking. And then he stands up. Lord Jesus stands up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, this verse has been, uh, has been misused in a lot of ways. Um. I remember, I asked my parents this if they remembered last night, but <clears throat> several years ago, it must have been, I don't know, teenage, preteen, but I remember they, it was probably most likely my dad grounded me for something, and I remember being so angry, I was like, ah, oh, you can't take away my freedom, I said, you know, quoting to him Ephesians 6, it's like 3 or 4, don't provoke your children to anger, and that's what I told him, I said, don't provoke your children to anger, as if to say misusing it. In, in my mind, he was provoking me to anger. But the rest of it is this. But instruct them in the way of the Lord. And so really what my father was doing was not provoking me to anger because, listen, if he allowed me to continue whatever stubborn behavior it was, that would produce anger. But instead, he was trying to instruct me. So he was actually carrying it out. But in my mind, it's like, oh, he's making me angry. He's provoking me to anger. So there was a misquoting of this. And what they were doing, I mean, Excuse me, people have taken this out and says, listen, the qualification for you to pass judgment on somebody is you need to be without sin. Have you ever heard that before? Has anybody said, listen, don't pass judgment on me because the Lord Jesus said you can't because you need to be without sin. Now, who in this planet would ever be able to pass judgment? Was Jesus making this law, which is is a law in the law of Moses, was it null and void because the person who would be able to carry it out, they couldn't find anybody to, right? If that was really what... What they were saying there was what Jesus was saying. No, what was he saying, actually? There was something they left out as they brought this woman in. Does somebody have their Bible? Can really quick read 
uh, Leviticus 20, verse 10. There was something they've left out. Nice and loud, if you get to it. Thank you, Michael. So they brought the adulteress. What did they leave out, Michael? The man, the adulterer, right? So what is he saying? He who is without sin. He knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. They left out a part of it. Where was the guy? He might have been in the crowd. He doesn't say, but he might have been there, right? Where was the guy? So that's what he's telling. He says, you with without sin... Right? Because he understood that they were springing a trap before they even brought her. But he says, listen, you who are without sin, who brought this in the right conscience of your heart, you be the first one to cast a stone. It wasn't that they had to look in their own heart and say, listen, without sin, he wasn't telling them, you don't ever have to have sin. You never commit sin. You can't pass the judgment. It wasn't like that. But it was, look in your own heart, right? Where's the other person of this? Where's the second half of this, this crime? They didn't bring him, right? They didn't bring him. So he said without sin. And then what does he do next? He steps right back down and starts riding on the ground. As if he didn't hear him again. I mean, who had the authority in that situation? The Lord Jesus, right? It wasn't them. He didn't put them. They tried to put him on the spot. But instead, the light of God shines right back on them. I like the songs that were selected this morning. But the light of God then shines right back on them. And look at what it does. Right to their hearts. And once more, verse 8, he bent down on the ground and wrote. And then when they heard it, this is the people that brought him, the scribes and Pharisees, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So one by one, they were convicted in heart. This is the first point I'm going to point out. As we're talking about who are you and what will you do with them, these group of people were convicted. But instead, what what does it leave out here? They were convicted. They didn't come in and ask for forgiveness or repentance to the Lord Jesus. What does it say they did? They walked out. That's a typical re- response, right, to being under the conviction of God. It says, listen, the light of God is shining in my heart. He has shown me my sin. There's a big, deep problem. But instead of responding to the Lord and, ask, and doing what he asked, they walk away and turn their back. Remember, it's not a question of they cannot come to the Lord. It's that they will not. And that's exactly what they did. The light of God shined in their heart. They realized that they were the ones that, that uh, misinterpreted the law. They were the ones with the sin. They, again, are convicted. They just walked out. Instead of talking to the creator of heaven and earth, he's right there, right in front of his face. Can you imagine? The Lord Jesus talking to you. And instead, you walk away from him. So close, right? But yet so far. They will not come to him. They will not. They will, uh, what will you do with him? They decide to walk out. And leave him. But he leaves the woman there standing. Uh, it's just him and the woman. And verse 10, Jesus stood up from his, uh, when he was riding on the ground. And he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And in verse 11, he says, no one, Lord. And neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. This is one of the things that the translators had a problem with, with this particular, why they decided to leave it out. Some interpreted this and says, listen, Jesus is given license to people to commit adultery because he's just letting her off the hook. It's not that. There's two things going on. One, 
Is Jesus Christ the most gracious, most merciful person on this planet, in this universe? He is, right? But secondly, and this is where, this is where I think it's going too, as well as that, is that there's a matter of witnesses. Because they said she was caught in the very act. So they, in their own, by their own mouths, were saying, we are the witnesses of what happened, right? If you're going to put somebody to death, it can't be just Ben, say, for instance, saying, well, Brian went ahead and, and did this act, whatever was worthy of death, and says, listen, I watched Brian do it. No, somebody has to corroborate his story. So Annette would also have to come forward and say, yes, Brian both did that. So in the mouth of two witnesses, then I can be implicated in it. But now there's no witnesses. Now, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is witness because he knows everything. But he's also carrying out the law by letting her go because now there's only one witness, right? So, yes, he's being merciful and he's telling her don't sin no more, right? He's not condoning what she did, but he's also carrying out the law because now the witnesses have left. They have fled the scene and now she's left alone with the Lord Jesus. So he tells her do not sin no more. So it's not that the Lord Jesus is condoning what has happened He's telling her, go on and sin no more. And he then is, his, she is uh, left out. Now, I'm going to say something of application. For those of you who know Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you've ever come to a point, I remember um, a couple of years ago now, it's getting, few, it's getting uh, further and further away because it happened in 2005. But I remember this has been a rock-bottom experience for me, right? The Lord was dealing with something with me. And it gotten to the point where I was just so flattened because the Lord had just been pushing on and says, you need to change this. And I just couldn't kick against it anymore, right? And there was just a, a flat confession and there was a lot of tears, a lot of sadness. But what was the next response? You know, if you've ever gotten to that point and maybe even newly saved, right, is just to just give everything to the Lord because you're just so happy, right? The Lord, David even says this, right? The person who's joyful, right, whose sins have been forgiven. Can you imagine he had... He was, uh, 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 he killed somebody, right? He was a murderer, first degree. He planned it out, premeditated. He also committed adultery, right? All these lists of sins. And for a whole year, he had to carry those things. Can you imagine? Have you ever gone through that, right? And then you got to the point where I can't do it anymore. The Lord's been pushing at me, just like he did with Saul, right? Saul was kicking back at him, at the Lord. And then finally, he gets his attention, just like he got Brian's attention. He says, listen, I confess I don't want to do it anymore, right? It was just like a burden relief. And can you imagine this woman walks out? You think she's going to turn around and do that? Yeah, I mean, she could. But, I mean, to have that sin, that burden, just like Pilgrim's Progress, right, when he makes it up to that hill, it just rolls away, right? The joy of, like, not having to carry that anymore. And really, and how do we then refresh that as a Christian, right? It doesn't mean that you have to go through that kind of experience, right? But we have this this morning, if you came, right, to go back and to have our minds to remember what happened at Calvary and to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf and then to go from here, right? And yes, to change us uh, personally, right? To not continue in sin, go and sin no more, but to then take that message to the world, right? And as an application, we want to share that. If I had the cancer for, I mean, excuse me, if I had the cure for cancer, right? One of the most uh, deadly diseases, and would I not want to share that with people, especially people that I love, people that are close to me? You know, think about why the Lord has placed you in, in a particular job or why he has not moved you up into something. You know, maybe there's a promotion and he hasn't moved you into another one and you want to go over here and he's keeping you there for a particular reason. Maybe there's somebody there that he wants you to be a light to or he wants to share the gospel to. Remember that time when the Lord Jesus Christ has freed you from those sins 
uh, has freed you, right? And to go back to that place. And just like that woman, you look back, man, I was there. I was guilty. I deserved to die. But the Lord Jesus Christ pardoned me, right? And he pardoned me because not he is a merciful person, but he also is a just person. That sin and that punishment need to go somewhere. Fell on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He suffered there and bled on the cross for our sake. So again, and then in 12, he says, uh, Jesus spoke to him, says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. The light, the, the, the light of the world had just shined into these people's hearts, right? That's exactly what we just saw. And their response was to walk away from him. They didn't want anything to do with it. Has that changed? You know, that was like some 2,000 years ago. Has that changed today? You see that today. That even though Jesus physically is not here, right, the Holy Spirit is working. His job is, is to convict the world of sin, convict the, uh, convict the world of sin, right? He is, so he's working when we can't see him. He's very active. And then comes along Christian, uh, uh, Christian A or Christian B and they, they share something or they, they, this person comes across the way that they are praying at lunch or there's something that the, that the Lord uses that person and and they're convicted about their sin, and they choose to walk away, right? That's typically the response. So they choose not to come to God. They will not, uh, they will not come to him. And, and it just is it's baffling. But the fact is, is this, is that don't be discouraged because that is the typical response, right? They rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're not to say, well, that, they're never going to be saved, or this is a waste of time, right? We're still to, uh, to go on, press on, because the Lord has left us here for a particular reason, right? The harvest is still white, right? There's a lot to do. So in verse 13, it says, The Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness of yourself. Your testimony is true, right? This, this is exactly what just happened in the story before, is that they're saying, Listen, your witness, you're just telling us one thing. You're one person. You're saying that you're the Son of God. Well, your witness is not true, because remember, it takes two people, right, to confirm something. And he says this, he says, Jesus said, answered, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. And this is where the questions start coming through. I I don't think we're going to get through most of them, but they're going to start asking questions of the Lord Jesus. We mentioned in the beginning that... um, that some people ask questions. Some of them are really seeking. It's good to ask questions. But a lot of times we're asking questions to try, to try to get around or try to prove our point. So what they're doing is, that, well, no, you're bearing witness of yourself. That's, your witness is not true. Well, Jesus says, no, my witness is because there's somebody else that's bearing witness. You don't know him. You think you know him. But he's the Father in heaven. He's also confirming my story. And then in verse 15 it says, you judge... Uh, it's in 14, so, excuse me, Jesus answers, if I do bear witness of myself, my witness, my testimony is true, for I know where I'm coming and where I'm going, but you do not know where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. In verse 16, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone, uh, for I'm not alone who judge, but the Father who sent me. And so there's a oneness between the Father and the Son that and this really goes back to the chapter before is that the whose father are you, right? They thought, they knew who Jesus' father was. That was Joseph. But he was talking about someone else, right? The father who is in heaven. And so there's this contrast between the physical and the spiritual. 
And in verse, skipping down to 19, it says, Therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, You do not know. Uh, Jesus answered and says, You neither know me nor know my father. But if you know my father, if you knew me, you would also know my father. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one arrested him because his hour had not come. And then moving on into verse 21, it says, Then he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. But where I'm going, you cannot come. And the Jews, and the Jews says, Will he kill himself since he said he would go? Uh, where am I going, and you cannot come? You see these questions again coming. They don't understand what's happening here with Jesus and what he's trying to tell him. And it, this is typically how, um, if you ever open up and, and try to witness a lot of times it's it's like that. You're it's almost like you're talking to, um, trying to get a response to the wall as you're talking to it. But really, right, that is the condition of the heart of of man before right the before they respond to the light of the world is that they're dead and they don't understand. And that's exactly what he's trying to talk to them. He's trying to push them to where they can respond to him. But they're just asking all these other questions to kind of get around to try to prove their point, whatever the case is. And and he's trying to push them, right? He's trying to get them to where they need to be, right? Under the light of God and then respond to it, right? Who are you and what will you do with him? And then he says um, in verse 23, it says, then he says, you are from below and I am from above. You are of the world and I am not. I told, uh, I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe. And I am he uh, I am he, I mean, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I mean, you can't get any more clearer than that. I mean, Jesus is coming. There's there's a sect of, well, under the umbrella of Christianity, they say that Jesus never said that he's the son of God. I mean, this, all of John, it's littered through that, that Jesus has made the claim. But, I mean, there's no sidestepping that Jesus did claim that he is the son of God. He wasn't going to deny that. And he had the authority to forgive his sins. And he says, unless you believe in I am he, you will die in your sins. Right? There's no way around it. That there's, not, uh, uh, there's not another way for us to come to the Father. There's not another way to deal with the weight of, uh, that has plagued humanity, right? That we have brought upon ourselves because of our disobedience uh, of sin. There's no way of getting rid of it. The only way is, is coming to Jesus Christ. We've got to agree that he's the Son of God. And we got to confess, right? We got to repent of that sins, and He's able to give us eternal life because He's paid that penalty for on our behalf. And then twenty-five, it says this, and He said to them, "Who are you?" Right? There's our question. And Jesus said, "Just as I have been telling you from the beginning, right? I've been talking this from the beginning of this, well, this book, especially even since the the beginning of those miracles that happened in Cana. He's been telling them. He didn't waste any time, right? He told them, listen." And really, this this should give us a sense of urgency. I mean, I'm included in this as well, but there's a lot of distractions, right, in life, and it can pull us away as if as if it were. Uh, uh, we don't see this often down here, but you know, if you get out early in the morning, usually it's early morning, and there's a fog, right, and whatever the conditions are, it brings it on, and you can't even see sometimes until you get through it that cloud, right, what's ahead. And there's a lot of fog in life that distracts us from what the reality is. And you might think, listen, what are you talking about reality? This is, this is real. But is this something that's going to last, right, what we see? Even our own bodies don't even, they're not built to last at this present state, right? We're looking for something that happens next, right? We're looking to head. But we can get so clouded in the fog, right, and we can get so distracted 
of what, what is in this life, right? We're not looking ahead. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ didn't waste any time when he was here. He had something, these people who we, we right, if we were around then, they were on their, they were die, they were dead, right? They're walking dead people, but if they would have died in their sins, that would have been it, right? He wanted to see them respond to him. They want, he wanted them to come to him, but they would not. Most would not. And then verse, and then verse uh, 28, I think we'll wrap up with this. He says, he says this. He says, uh, Jesus said to them, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, this is a title given to him, uh, a messianic title, the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I do all things, always do the things that please him. And he was saying these things, and many believed in him. Let's just jump to, to verse 30. May, we'll reference back to our thing is that many believed in him. We, we briefly mentioned this in the beginning. There are many that say that I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And they see something and they attach themselves to Christianity, but in their hearts, right, they have not come to him. Because then Jesus turns around in verse 31 and then speaks to the ones that had believed in him. And what does it end up doing? It pushes some of them away, just like it happened in, in, in 6. Yeah, in 6, that after that miracle, remember the miracle of the feeding, that he says, I'm the bread of life. And then he says, eat, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And they said, oh, what is that? That's disgusting. You know, what are you talking about? And he ends up pushing those away who believe. Was Jesus in the business of gathering as many people as he could into his, into his fold? No, he wanted those who were coming to him, that wanted him, right? That wanted to deal with that problem of, and were respond to that conviction of their sin. But he ends up pushing them away because they, even though it says they believed in him, they didn't have the true belief. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, those who claim, right, that Jesus is the Son of God, they, they would fit into this category. I'm not saying everybody, but they really, really should, we should examine our own hearts, right? What are we believing in? What have we done with him, right? But what is the identifying mark here in 28? Jesus says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, a Messianic title, especially in connection with his suffering. What was he referencing to when he says lifted up? It was that time when he'd be put up on a cross. So when Jesus Christ has been put up on there, even then, we were just thinking about it this morning, such lovely thoughts, right? Even in the weakness and defeat, he got us the best. He achieved the greatest victory, right? We resurrect, um, we have some veterans here uh, that participate in certain wars, but there's, there's memorials, right, that we've re- resurrected, right, to great feats and and sometimes it's, it, it's very sad, right, to visit and see those who have perished. But here's the Lord Jesus who has, who has achieved the greatest thing, the greatest victory mankind has ever known, right? And, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily erect a cross to remember it, but we do something in remembrance of him. But he's done it through, not through the, the, the way that we would think it through, through massive uh, of, of military hardware or some kind of uh, a divisive battle plan, or was a battle plan, but he did it through a way that was a spectacle that, you know, it could have gone 
and on the way and nobody would have noticed. But it says when he was put up in such a manner, that still would point to him that he is the son of God and that you will know it. And so he, 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 he made a, a claim to the future that would happen. He says, when you put him up, you will know that I'm he and I do nothing on my own authority. And just as the father has taught me. And, and then he makes this claim too. He says, I do all things. He has not left me alone because I do all things, always, at all times that please the Father. Is there anybody else that could have made that claim except the Lord Jesus? No. He, he was very clear in his claims. He was very clear of who he was. It wasn't something he was couching in mystery. And yet, what was he trying to do? He was trying to get people to respond to him. There was a message he came to bring them, right? Salvation to mankind. It wasn't a matter that they could not come to him or they did not see it, which they couldn't because of their own sin. But when the times just as those people came and they thought they could trap Jesus, he turned around, shined the light of God and shined into their hearts. They chose not to, they chose to walk away from him instead of responding. So what will you do with him? And that's the question I have for today, for my heart too as well. Who is the Lord Jesus, right? He is the son of God. What will you now do with him, right? Is he the Lord of your life? So, Two ways, right? Those who are without Christ, right? You need to come to him. You need to come to him. Confession of your sin. You need to have that sin forgiven. You need to come to them and remember that, I mean, to be, uh, that Jesus Christ died on that cross for my sin and be freed. That's the only way that I can free it. But now as a Christian, right? As he, you know, we get clouded sometimes in that fog, right? Those things that distract us, right? Where's Jesus in my life? Have I been, uh, have I pushed him down, right? He's not the Lord of my my own heart, right? There's other things that have misguided me, right? I need to put him back in the, the position where he needs to be in my own life. And so who are you and what will you do with him is the question that I leave with you. Just as he left with those uh, people in John 8 is what the Lord Jesus is trying to do today, right? Is what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Remember, it's not a matter of they can't come to him. It's that they're choosing not to come to him. And really, um, when you think about it, you know, it's, you ever think about, you know, the, the, when you're trying to maybe present some kind of a, a message on hell, you know, you, you ever, I don't think too much about this, but the, the Bible does write a lot about hell. You think, oh man, it's an awful place. You know, hell is a place where God chooses not to be get, exist, but it's a place where, you know, you think maybe they, they have second thoughts and they want to change their mind. You know, they've made their, their choice. And they still don't want to Jesus Christ. They still want anything to go do with God. And that's where he ends up putting, because that's a place God chooses not to, you know, not to be, excuse me, not exist. But that's a place where he's put those who have rejected, right, and who have, have gone against him. They don't want anything to do with God. Fine. There's a place there. And it's an awful, right? It's an awful place. But is it, there's an opportunity, right, to have our sins forgiven and to uh, be free of that thing, uh, be free of the penalty of sin. Uh, through what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you um, for this uh, for this time uh, in your word. And we just pray, Lord, that each of us would ask that question. We do, we've always heard maybe, and we've heard other people talk about Jesus and Christ, but what will we now do with him? And so we just pray that you bring us home safely and that uh, you bring us back tonight, Lord willing, so we can learn more about John 8. And Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.